Awesome. Well, hey guys, it is good to be with you again tonight. I believe it's so dark in here. I don't know if that's, that's better. Great, fantastic. All right. Well, good to be with you guys. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff here with the Salt Company, and we're going to be opening up the Bible tonight. So if you got one, I'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. This is the finale of the Colossians series. Who's been enjoying Colossians? Hasn't it been great? Great stuff. Next week, we will finish out our semester by looking at Revelation chapter 21, where we look at heaven. What is it? Will you go? You know, things like that. It's going to be a great time. Revelation 21, and then Leo is going to be pulling out all the stops. If this is your first semester here at Salt Company, we end the semester with a bang, okay? So it is going to be a great time. Bring extra water, lots of hydration, comfy shoes. You get the whole deal. It's a great time. Next thing, guys, I will actually be hosting at conference, which will be great. So we're going to, I'm going to wear the shirt. And we're going to rep St. Paul, okay? So wear that shirt, go nuts. We're going to make some crazy noise. I'm going to ask for you to do it, and you're going to do it. So it's going to be a great time. I cannot wait for conference. It will be really, really sweet. Colossians chapter 3 is where we'll be. Let me pray as we open up our time together. Father, I'm really thankful for texts like these that remind us of the resurrected life that we're promised by Christ. They remind us that we're no longer dead to our sins, but we're alive in Christ and that we can live a life of freedom, freedom in pursuing the heart of God. Father, thank you for the book of Colossians. Thank you for your faithfulness. And tonight, my prayer is that the spirit would be heavy in this place, that we would be convicted but not condemned, that we would see that holiness is better than a life of sin, but we wouldn't leave this place trying to be better on our own, but we would leave this place filled up by the spirit, encouraged by his presence and reminded of the truth of the gospel that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And his resurrection reminds us of the power that we have to fight our sin. So Father, tonight, would it not be about Salt Company? Would it not be about any of us? But would it be about you? And you know we pray, amen, amen. Okay, here's my opening question for you tonight. Have you ever wished you were just a little bit different, okay? Here's what I thought about. Guys, I know I talk about my height a lot. My wife is so much taller than me. Like, I had that thought the other day. We were brushing our teeth together, and I was kind of scrunching, but I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was like, are you like three? She's only an inch taller than me, but I feel so short when I'm around her. I think constantly about how much better my life would have been if I was six feet tall. I mean, I know some of you guys are six feet, and you're like, oh, life's not that much better up here. But, you know, it would have been great for me. Second thing that I wish was different about me, guys, have you ever read English and you're like, what does it say? Like, you're like, this is just plain English. This is not impressive English. This is not archaic English. I just cannot compute. Sad. Last thing <clears throat> is my emotional eating. Okay, guys, honestly, though, when you get sad, how hungry do you get? Like, I feel that so hard. When I'm sad, all I want is a deluxe cravings box from Taco Bell. $8.99 for so much joy and then lots of regret. Okay, I mean, it's just true. It's like 1,500 calories of pain. Your life will be worse the next day. But it's just true. It's a great time initially. There's so many things in my life that I wish were different. I wish I was less selfish. So much of my life revolves around me, what I think about myself, how my life is going. I wish I was less insecure. I cared less about what other people thought of me. I wish I was less angry and frustrated when life didn't go my way. And I wish that I cared more about spending time with Jesus than my own comfort and my conveniences. Which, guys, I just want to open up. I, I confessed this to my D group this week, so I feel free to confess it to you. But up until about 10 days ago, 
I was spending like three days a week with Jesus. Like reading my Bible like three days a week, which by the way, guys, I literally get paid to do this. Like, what am I doing? I'm a professional Christian. Okay. But it's like, what? That's not even 50%. Like, that's sub 500. You know, that's, that's a horrible record. And I got to this place where I was just prioritizing my comfort, my convenience, and my sleep over spending time with Jesus. And then two weeks ago, my mentor, Danny, flew in and preached at Redemption. And then he sat down with me, and then he just blasted me for an hour. I was like, oh, my gosh. We flew you out here to encourage me. <laughs> but he just called me out, man. He was like, dude, you are not intimately walking with Jesus right now, and you need to repent of that. And so as one of your pastors, as someone who cares a ton about you, this text is just as much for me as it is for you. There are many things in my life that I want to be different about who I am. So that's a question for us tonight. How do we change? Okay. I'm sure if you were honest, you've got a list of like 10 things, other than your height, that you would like to be different about you. How do we change? How do we transform as people? Here's what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3. Here's my organizing idea. It's a lot of R's. Look at this alliteration. The resurrection fuels repentance and restoration. Ooh, look at all those R's. The resurrection fuels repentance and re restoration. That's what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3. Open up with me to verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay, guys, I'm not going to lie. I know you're not supposed to have favorites as a Christian, but this is one of my favorites, okay? This text is so good. It is an absolute banger. Here's what we see in verse 1. If you are raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Why? Because it's where Christ is, is seated in all of his honor and splendor. Guys, here's what Colossians 3 is giving us a preview of next week. Next week, we're going to look at Revelation 21. What is heaven? Is it a real place? Is it a figurative place? Who's going to be there? And here's what Colossians 3 is saying. Jesus will be seated there at the right hand of the Father. And it's just one of these moments when you're reading the Bible, you actually slow down to think about that. That if you are in Christ, one day you will get to heaven and you will come face to face with King Jesus. And he will not be wearing a crown of thorns as a crucifixion. Blood will not be running down his face. He'll be wearing an actual crown honored and bestowed upon him and he'll be sitting at the right hand of the Father. The reason why as Christians we put our minds to things that are above is because that's where Jesus is. He's residing there right now. And verse 3, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Okay, guys, here's what Colossians is saying. The old life has died. You are not old anymore. You are brand new. This is what 2 Corinthians says. Therefore, if anyone in, in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the behold, the new has come. Guys, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not to be slightly better. It's not to have a slightly better moral code than the people in your classes. It's not for you to come to salt a couple more times. The reality of a Christian is that you are regenerated, that you are dead in your sins, and Jesus has brought you to life. I love this verse because it says your life is hidden, okay? What does that mean? You know what I mean? You're like, you read this, you're like, what does that mean? Here's what that means. This is crazy. What Colossians is trying to teach us is the imputed righteousness of Christ. All that means is that when Jesus died on the cross, if you believe in him, his righteousness gets put into you. 
And what Colossians is saying is the visible reality of that is that when God sees you, he does not see your sin, your shame, your brokenness. He sees Jesus. That if you have been resurrected with Christ, your life is now hidden in him. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. And the question that I have for you tonight, Christian, if you are here and you know Jesus, do you see yourself the way that God sees you? Do you primarily think about the shame that you're carrying into the room tonight? The sin that has burned so deeply in your soul, all of your deficiencies and all the things you wish were different about you? Or do you have the right theology that the king of the universe has redeemed you from your sin and has covered you with his body? So that when God sees you, your life is hidden in him. And verse 4 is literal fire. It's so good. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, so here's the hinge point of this sermon. Is Christ your life? If someone who knew you really well would look at your life, is that what they would say about you? that the very core and essence of your life is Christ, or would they say it's about getting other people's approval through your achievements? Would they say it's about how many girls you Snapchat because you just wanna feel that people want you? Would they say it's about your football career or your school career or what other how fit you are or your social media presence? What would people say about your life? The question is, is Christ actually your life or is he just something you do on Thursday nights? Is he something, someone you think about five minutes of the day, or is he at the very core of who you are as a person? Is Christ your life? For most of my life, I've, I've really struggled with a lot of insecurity and anxiety, both those things. I mean, I think about basically my entire existence. Those are the two words I can think of, which by the way, um, we're coughing a lot less this week. Do you guys hear that? That's pretty exciting. <laughs> you guys have been taking your emergencies and getting some naps. Good, good. As a unit, we feel healthy tonight. I, I feel less afraid because when you guys were coughing last week, I was like, oh, my gosh, the germs. Okay. Um, go back to my <laughs> insecurity. Uh, so most of my life, I've really struggled with insecurity and anxiety. And that's ultimately because my life was about other things. It was about my school performance. It was about my athletic career, which was very short-lived. And then it was about making money. So in college, I worked three jobs and worked 60 hours a week, and I slaved away because I thought making money would actually satisfy me. And then it was about attention and girls, and then it was about accolades and affirmations and all of these things. And here's what it left me. It left me unbelievably insecure and crazy anxious. Because here's the thing about all those things I just listed. Those things can be taken away from you in a moment. Those things can be stripped away from your life. And so I was always asking myself, am I actually good enough? Do other people think I'm good enough? Am I doing enough? Do other people think I'm good enough? I lived in this basically third-person perspective. You know in those movies where they, like, come out of their body? Ooh, and they're like a ghost, you know, and they look down at their life? I felt like that all the time because I was that concerned about if other people thought I was doing a good job of living my life. Here's why that was the case for me. It's because Christ wasn't my life. The thing I cared most about in my life was not King Jesus and what he's done for me. It was what I'm doing in my life, and it left me incredibly insecure and anxious. 
Listen, here's the beauty of the gospel. It doesn't just save your soul from hell forever. It gives you the stability your soul was designed for right now. You were not meant to consistently think third person about your life, constantly wondering if you're hot enough, you're smart enough, you're impressive enough, you're doing enough. You were meant to have an identity so secured by the stability of the gospel that you could actually just enjoy the gifts of your life. Listen, here's what happens when Christ becomes your life. All those things I just listed, some of them are good things. Relationships, people, like school. School's a good, don't drop out. School's a good thing, you know? I mean, you can if you want to, but ideally get your degree. But listen, those are all good things. Sports are good things. But when Christ is your life, they become very far down, secondary, most important things in your life. They become right size so they don't own you anymore. You're not a slave to that test because it, you don't, it doesn't own you anymore. You're not worried about if that person's going to break up with you and how it could destroy your life because they don't own you anymore. When Christ is your life, it brings a level of soul stability that you were created for. That's what we call identity in Christ. That who you are is deeply rooted in him. Okay. Last thing on this point, and then we got to move on, okay? Here's how Paul starts this with this insane four-verse exhortation. Four-verse. Four-verse. Four-verse exaltation, okay? Wow, that was hard. Four-verse exaltation. He starts it with the resurrected life that we can have because it's only the resurrection that can actually change us. Here's what I mean. Think back with me to last week, last week two weeks ago. We talked about how there are three false gospels, right? Legalism. This idea of following the rules, not the ruler. Hyperspirituality, presence over the person. And then we talked about man-made religion, elevating man's thoughts over God's thoughts. And here's what we saw is that those things don't work. Why? Because verse 23 of chapter 2 says this. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, here's what we learned last week. These false gospels don't work because they can't actually change you. But here's why Paul starts chapter 3 with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead can change your life. That's why. Because the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is resurrecting you. And that power can actually get into your sin. Listen, here's what sin feels like. First, you feel like you're doing sin, and then you feel like sin's doing you. First, you feel like you have control over it, and then it begins to control you, and you feel enslaved to your sin. And you actually need something bigger than yourself. You need something more powerful than your flesh to actually see it transform your soul. And here's what we're going to see in part two, that the resurrection of God gives us the power to kill sin. Verse 5 says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked, which you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, here's the primary argument that Paul is going to be making from this section of Scripture. Because God has the power to raise you from the dead, he gives you the power by the Spirit 
to not live a dead life. In other words, what we're going to see here is killing sin. Listen to me. This is what repentance is. Confession is great, can lift some of your guilt, but confession can't change your life. Repentance is the product of confession. It's saying to Jesus, I believe that you have given me the spirit of God, and now I'm going to kill sin with a vengeance. And listen, the problem for a lot of us in this room is that we see our sin, but we just take it so lightly. We just don't care. We're like, yeah, like fighting sin, that's for like the super religious people. Like that's for my secret leader, but not for me. That's for like the really intense Christians, but not for me. I don't want the sin part. I want the savior part. I want the Jesus coming through for me part. Yes, Jesus comes through for you, but that's the grace of the gospel. Listen, remind, I'm going to remind you of this moment in John chapter 8 where this woman gets caught in adultery and she expects to be killed in that moment. There are people with stones in their hands ready to stone this woman and then Jesus comes through for her. And then what does he say to her? I don't condemn you and go and sin no more. So the message of the gospel is he doesn't condemn you and go and sin no more. So here's why we need to hear this tonight. Because sin is incredibly powerful and will destroy everything about who you are. Here's why Paul teaches us we need to fight sin. Verse 5, you're not an earthly person anymore. Your citizenship is in heaven. Listen, if you have been resurrected with Jesus, born to a heavenly life, why are you still living in a worldly way? Your citizenship is no longer of the world. Sin is of the world. We are called to live in a heaven-bound reality. Verse 6 says this, on account of these things, sin, the wrath of God is coming. Guys, I want to be as clear as possible. God will judge every sin in your life. He will either judge it by killing his own son on a cross for you because you believed in him, or he will judge you. There will go no sin in your life that is not judged either on the bloodied body of Christ or on yours. This is not to scare you or to put fear into you. This is a fact that the wrath of God is coming for these things. Verse 9 says, we put off these things because that is our old self. Guys, this is the beauty of pursuing holiness. It's not because we're trying to be self-righteous. It's because the sin of our lives, that's not who we are anymore. If you've, redeemed, if you've been redeemed by the creator of the universe, then you're looking at that old life and you're saying, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do because my identity is not in the things of this world. My identities are in the things above. That's who I am in Christ, and so that's why we fight sin. And lastly, here's the reality of sin. You either kill sin or sin will kill you. Your life will be destroyed by the sin in your life. And because sin can kill you, Paul will give us a list of examples of what to kill. In a moment, I'm going to read out this verse. And then I'm going to walk bit by bit through everything Paul says. And I just actually want to ask you to let the words hit. This is not my opinion. This is not a TED talk that I'm giving. This is the actual word of God visible for you so that you would see the sin in your life that will kill you if you do not kill it. Verse 5 says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, 
which is idolatry. Here's what sexual morality is. Any sexual encounter outside of marriage. That would include intercourse, oral sex, pornography, a one-night stand, sex with a committed girlfriend, a partner outside the confines of God's design of marriage. That is sexual immorality, immorality. And if you don't kill this sin, it will kill you. Next one is impurity. A wider umbrella of activity outside of intercourse, using your hands in such a way that draws you into sexual activity, dry humping, engaging with OnlyFans, any sexual activity that wouldn't honor Jesus. You either kill impurity or impurity will kill you. Passion and evil desire. This would be acting out of a place of your flesh, specifically engaging in an activity that is manipulating or hurting, hurting another image bearer in a sexual way. An example, this would be hardcore porn or scenes by which someone is being taken advantage of or doing that yourself. Too drunk to deny your advances, inebriated. Covetousness, insidious greed, wanting someone or something that someone else has, desiring another person's partner or their lifestyle or their things. Listen, this is not my opinion. God hates these things. And the wrath of God will come for these things, either on the broken body of Jesus Christ for you or for you. Sex was meant to be an intimate act between two people in marriage, a sign that would honor him in his self-giving love. Sex in our culture is self-serving. It is about the individual's pleasure and it has nothing to do with honoring God. You either kill sin or sin will kill you. Those are the most outwardly observable ones, but let's continue. Verse eight says this, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Each of these is primarily committed by how we feel or what we say inside. And here are some important ones I wanna call out for us. And I want you to lean in here because these are less obvious sins, but sins that are destructive in your life. The first one is slander or gossip. Guys, the primary way our culture talks about other people is negatively behind their back. You will never look less Christian than when you're doing that. Jesus is not honored by your slander or your gossip about anyone in your life, no matter how much you think they wronged you. Next one is obscene talk. The way you talk matters to God. I want you to hear this. The locker room does not give you a free pass to say whatever you want. Jesus is not dumb. He sees into the locker room. The way you talk matters to God. And the last one is lying. White lies, half-truths, not recalling truth from the past, lying is dishonoring to Jesus. What you're feeling right now is uncomfortable and all of us should feel that. Because if you're at least even half honest with yourself, you would know that basically everything in that list you have either done or are continuing to do or are struggling with. That feeling by the Spirit of God is conviction a call towards repentance, a call towards seeing that those things are of your old life. If you're a Christian, you're a new creation in Christ. That's your old life. 
And the last one here is pride. Here's verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Listen, here's what resurrected people do. They repent of the ways the human species has always, always had pride in the race or class or tribe they've come from. The root of classism is pride. The root of racism is pride. The root of tribalism is pride. The idea that because of your race, your ethnicity, the amount of money your parents make, the ideological frameworks you have, your political party, that you are somehow better than other people is pride and that dishonors Jesus. Last thing that we move on from this point. This theology right here of how all human beings are made in the image of God and Christ is all and in all is the root of equality. Listen, I just want to give you guys a bit of a history lesson and then we'll continue to move on. The Greco-Roman world was built upon classism, racism, and tribalism. These things were assumed and accepted, not fought against. The early church was the first multi-ethnic organization to ever exist. Why? Because the people saw their sin. They saw their pride and in their humility they repented of their sin upon God. It was the first organization where Greeks and Jews and slaves and free and barbarian Scythian came together, not separated along the lines of race, ethnicity, and class, but brought together to one family. Christianity created equality and diversity. Guys, these are, these are Christian ideas brought forth by the blood and body of Jesus Christ, not our culture. Christianity was the first homeless shelter and food banks created hospitals to help the weak and education systems to develop the truth and gave opportunity for orphans to be adopted. And that's our heart here. We want to be a place where the pride of humanity dies because the way Jesus has died for us. Okay, so as we think about this, I know that section was incredibly intense. This is why Jesus had to die. The sin of humanity is not just cavalier little things that we do against God. It is active rebellion against our king. The feeling that you're having right now of your sin pressing on your, your heart is why Jesus had to die for you. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus was glad to die for your sin. He knew that he would be able to redeem you into his family. Okay, so why do we repent? Why do we kill sin? Because the resurrection gives us power to, we are not stuck in our sin. We are invited into a resurrected life and we repent because we're being renewed. Look with me to verse 10. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, so we repent because we are being renewed into the image of our creator and that's restoration. Look with me to the last segment, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen and holy ones, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called in one body, and be thankful." Okay, so verse 5 through 11 was to put off things. Okay, why? Because sin is not who we are anymore. If you are in Christ, that is earthly things. You are invited into a heavenly life. Sin is for dead people. Holiness is for alive people. 
And notice here, we are obedient not for an identity, but from our identity. Not to earn love, but because we are love. Listen to me. This is the beauty of the gospel. Paul says here, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are chosen by God for his glory and your good. You're holy by God because you are hidden with Christ. You're beloved by him because he would die and bleed for you, chosen, holy, beloved. That is Christ, the way Christ identifies you. And because that's your new identity, here's what it means to live into that new identity. It means to put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another so that when you have a complaint against each other, forgive each other. Listen, here's what we're going to learn in this section. In a culture that says cancel people, when they do something against you, Christianity says to restore that relationship. Listen, here's what we believe as Christians. You don't get to cancel people. Your job is to lay down your pride in humility and restore that relationship with them. And that doesn't mean that you don't have hard conversations. It usually means that you do have hard conversations, but you seek reconciliation with them. And above all these things, put on love. And here's what happens when you put on these things. You become transformed into the image of your creator. Listen, this is the promise of Colossians 3. We just looked at a long list of sin that was so intense. We just looked at a long list of sin. But the invitation of the gospel is this. As you put off sin, you put on love. You are being made to look more like Jesus. You're transformed to look more like him. So as I call the worship band back up, let's review what we learned today. The resurrection gives us fuel to change. We have the power to change as Christians. If you are in Christ, if your life has been regenerated by him, then you are not alone in your fight against sin. Jesus Christ is coming through for you. The second thing we learned is the resurrection gives us power to repent. Listen, repentance is killing sin. Self-awareness and confession will not change your life. If you want to change, you need to repent of your sins. And the last one is the resurrection invites us into restoration. Guys, you were made to live in accordance with the design and heart of God. That's why you feel so out of place in this world. That's why your heart is struggling because the Bible says you have a war of flesh and blood. You have a war of your flesh and the spirit in you. Because you were designed to live in the way that God has called you to live. You were designed to pursue holiness. And here's what happens as you pursue holiness. You receive an unexplainable peace. So if you want to live a life of peace, pursue holiness. Okay. Let's think back to the intro. Okay. All the things we wish we were different about us. And I want you to think back to that list of sin. All the things that all of us do. Listen, if you're at least not honest with yourself enough to realize that, you're going to be in a rough spot, okay? All of us do those sins. So the question is, when we feel convicted, what do we do? How do we actually repent of our sin? Here's what that looks like. It looks like saying to Jesus, I'm going to believe you and take you at your word. That I am a resurrected king son or daughter of the king that my life is not a life of old but it's a life of new i'm no longer dead but now i'm alive so i'm going to believe that 
and I'm going to pursue holiness. Listen, guys, the most convicting thing in your life will be when you come to Jesus with your sin, your brokenness, your shame, and instead of condemnation, he gives you grace. That will be the singular most convicting thing in your life when you get to the feet of Jesus and you expect him to throw a stone at you like the woman caught in adultery, but instead of throwing a stone, he gives you a hug and he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. It will give you courage beyond belief. If you would just go to Jesus instead of concealing your sin, hiding your sin, you run to him and you will receive the grace of Jesus every single time. Listen, that's the reason why I can stand as a man before you and say, I have so many things in my life I wish were different about me. I wish I was less selfish. I wish I was less angry. I wish I was less insecure. I wish I cared less about my comfort and convenience and more about Jesus. But I'm also standing here encouraged because I believe in a God who died a perfect death for me so I didn't have to be perfect. I believe in a God who would die on a cross for me so I would not have to die, but I could live in resurrected life. And next week, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to gaze at heaven. And so that's the encouragement for us. It's not that we were perfect so we didn't deserve death, but that we were sinners in need of grace and Jesus came through for us. And so now we can hear the words of Jesus, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Let me pray that that be true of us. Father, thank you for hard texts like these. Thank you for moments to repent. Thank you that we get to see our sin. And Lord, it's moments like this when we see our sin, we are reminded of a need of a savior, not someone to make us slightly better, not someone to make us feel a little bit better, but someone to give us a brand new life, a life resurrected with you, a life not based on what we have done, but on what you have done for us and a life of holiness and alignment with your heart. So Father, that's what I would pray for this room, that for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of their life, they would not spend their life focusing on dead worldly things, but they would live a resurrected life with a fuel to repent and a chance to be restored and a reminder of the regeneration of their soul so that one day in heaven, they could look at you face to face and gaze upon you sitting at the right hand of the Father. That in that moment, you would say to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were reminded of the resurrected life. Father, I pray that would be true for all of us and for those of us in this room who have not yet believed in the glory of Jesus. Father, I'm so thankful that you do not throw stones or condemn, but you convict and call to repentance. So would tonight be a moment where they could look back and say, that was a night that I saw my sin for the first time and I gave my life to the Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for texts like this. And as we go back into worship, my prayer is that we would lift holy voices to you and they would trust that you are worthy of our worship. In your name we pray, amen.